Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life. This is the day about Jesus, the Savior. This Savior who went to the cross, paid for our sins, was buried. We know that story so well. But we forget, this is the resurrection. This is bringing a dead guy back to life. If you have a Bible, I'm in John chapter 11 this morning. If you have a New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, easy. If you have a full Bible, like I do, not so easy. Get through the whole Old Testament to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is the story of not the story of Jesus in resurrection. This is another resurrection. Because Jesus didn't just do resurrections. He is the resurrection. Hope you get the difference. It's it's slight, but it's big. It's slight, almost unnoticeable, but it's huge. Uh, Today, this being Easter Sunday, we're starting a new series called I Am. You ever... um, you ever go to meet somebody, and when you meet them, they're way different than what everybody else told you about them? You ever had that happen? And then you're surprised, like, hey, you aren't as cranky as I thought you'd be, because other people say you're pretty nasty. Or you're kinder, you're, not as, you're gentler than I thought you'd be. You're more funny, you're more relaxed than you said, because you get your information from secondary sources, right? That happens all the time with Jesus. People say, well, I don't like Jesus. Well, why? Well, because most of Jesus' followers are idiots. Sorry, and jerks, and nerds. They're just bad people, but that's who we are. And, and so some people don't like Jesus because all of their information is secondary. How would you like to be known for only what people say about you? So what we're going to do the next seven Sundays, starting today, is we're going to find out what Jesus says about himself. Get it to the source, okay? Seven times in the Gospel of John, he'll say, I am, and then he fills in the blank. And then you can go to the bank on who he is. He, is, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I, and I am the door. In other words, I, I'm the opening to all of your, the good things of your life. Today, he will say, John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, even if he dies, he never really dies. And that's the big question. Do you really believe this? John chapter 11. Now, Before we get too far into the story, this being Easter Sunday, I I just want to encourage you, make this day about Jesus, because biblical and non-biblical historians tell us the resurrection really happened. Can't argue it because there's too many facts about it on the outside. And on top of that, those who were closest to the situation, the very followers of Jesus, they knew what they saw, and they would not back down on what they saw. They could go through the lie detector test. How do we know that? Because they were charged to death. And they said, we're willing to die because we believe this dead man really rose. And when Jesus rises from the dead, that's not the first time this will happen. He will actually have raised somebody else from the dead. We're going to look today at a guy by the name of Lazarus. And he will have him raised from the dead. Understand this. No matter what your conflict is, and no matter what the war is that happens, and most of it is spiritual warfare, understand Jesus can overcome it. Why? Because he can overcome death. John chapter 11, verse 25. And Jesus said to Martha, and we all say it together, read it out loud with me, would you? Verse 25. I am the resurrection. Try it. Let me back up. Read it out loud with me. Will you? Will you? 
Okay, I want you to Chick-fil-A me. I want you to say, it would be, it would be my pleasure. Okay, now we're going to get somewhere. Why are all these illustrations always about food? That's what we want to know. Say it together. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 11, and of course, verse 25. You see, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity is stillborn. You cannot have a living faith if you have a dead Savior. And so let me just, by way of introduction, give you three kind of implications to this. The first is that it's unique. We are unique in Christian faith to any other faith in the world. Other faiths have buildings, they have books, they have a following you know, they have all those things. What they do not have is a living Savior. They do not have a Savior that was predicted ahead of time. They don't have a Savior that lives after he dies. That's unique. A second thing that I see that's a great implication is that of proof. It's proof of what is seen by, by, by what is unseen by what is seen. That he comes through at the toughest points. That he dies at Roman hands. These soldiers that killed him on the cross... They knew what they were doing. They were pros at killing people. They did it every day of the week. They knew what death looked like. And that added credibility to the faith because then all the prophecies came true. So not only is it unique, but there's this whole issue of proof. But there's a third implication, and that's that it signals something. It signals power, power to overcome anything in life. If God can raise the dead, then get this, nothing's too hard for him. Get that? Nothing. So, for the next few moments, let's just read the story. John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Stop there. City of Bethany, there's a Mary there's a Martha. But there's more than one Mary in the world, right? It's hard to understand that. There's more than one of your name in the world. So he says, the one from Bethany. But there's probably more than one from Bethany. So he says, the one who's related to the, the one who did the hair and, and washed Jesus' feet with the perfume. We identify that. And we say, the one you love. In other words, Jesus knows these people and he loves these people. He's, he's connected to these people. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, stop right there. He says, this sickness will not end in death. Instead, God's glory will be seen. There'll be a miracle here, but get this. The miracle isn't about you. I hope you get this. When when a miracle happens to you, it's not about you. Sorry. And it's not about you happen to live a, you know, a happy, problem-free life. That's not what this is about. And so there'll be miracles in life, but they're not about you. They're not about me. They're not really about Lazarus. They're really about God getting the glory. You understand that when Jesus performed miracles, it wasn't just to feed people or to heal people. That wasn't the end result of the miracle. The end result was for them to realize this guy is God's son. We better pay attention. This guy comes from God the Father in heaven. And he's saying, uh, verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. The story's not going to end there. Why? Because God's glory needs to be seen. So we're going to heal him, but it's, it's not for Lazarus' good. 
It's for the glory of God. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus. So when they heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now stop right there. This makes no sense. You find out someone's sick. He says, well, I love him. Oh, he's sick? Well, let's go to Judea. (laughs) What? That makes no sense, does it? It makes no sense to you and me. If, If I'm loved, if I said to you, hey, I'm on the interstate, I got a flat tire, and they said, yeah, we're headed to King's Dominion. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. You know, that's not love, is it? No, no. Love is, what interstate? Okay, we'll be right there. You know, you know who your friends are when you run out of gas and they bring you a, you know, a can of gas, right? But Jesus says, okay, let's wait two more days, then let's go to a town, and by the way, this is really loaded, he doesn't just say Judea. He says Judea, but this is full of implication. The last time they were in Judea, <laughs> it didn't go very well. They tried to kill them. And so he says, okay, let's wait two days. Now, on our way to see him, let's stop by in that town where they tried to kill us. Which means there's a fair chance we're not going to make it. You understand how this doesn't make sense? Now, It doesn't make sense unless you see a greater piece to this, unless you realize Jesus is up to something bigger and better. And then he'll begin to talk in in kind of a parable form. He'll say, well, he's fallen asleep. And they say, well, if he sleeps, he'll he'll wake up. And he's saying, you you guys aren't getting it. You, You really aren't getting it, verse 14. So he says to them plainly, verse 14, Lazarus is dead. This isn't sleep like night, night, I'll wake up in the morning. Sometimes they use the word sleep like, well, he passed away, okay? You ever watch the evening news? They'll always lead with that, you know, Joe Smith, dead, dead on arrival. Just, I always say, is there a kinder way to say that, a gentler way to say that? And passed away is one of those ways. Another one of them that's very poetic is he fell asleep. He just drifted off. That's the way I want to die. You've heard this story, I want to die like grandpa, you know, dozing off asleep, Yeah, I don't want to be like his buddies, screaming and yelling in the back seat of his car. Okay. So they want to go to Judea to get killed. Why would we do this? This begs the bigger question. Now, are you trying to get us killed? That would be the question, wouldn't it? And he says... Uh, frankly, he, he is dead. Don't talk about sleep anymore. And when he says he's dead, he says, I, I love these people, but I'm not coming yet because it, it, it's important. He says, we'll go in the daylight. You don't need to go at night. We won't get killed in the daylight. Yes, you can die in the daylight. And so he says to him, look, he's dead. He's gone. Now, this is when the responses come in, and the responses are, like ours. You're going to identify with these. There's three people, Thomas, Mary, and Martha. Thomas responds, chapter 11, verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, which I think, frankly, would be a great name for a band. Don't you? Didymus. Yes. Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, and we will die with him. (laughs) Well, that's happy. Yeah, yeah. since we're going to go through a town that's probably going to kill us to go see a guy who's already dead, what good does it go, do to go 
So let's just go and get this over with. Here's a guy filled with doubt. Maybe that's where you are. Everyone has prayed. All of us in the room has prayed, and it's not come to be. All of us have asked God something great, and it's not happened. And a little bit of us dies inside. A little bit of a dream dies. A little bit of a hope dies. Like this is never going to happen. And we've all been overcome at some point in our lives with some amount of doubt, probably rooted in some bad experiences. It's exactly where Thomas is. If that's where you are, you're in good company. There's a second response. It's the response of Mary, uh, verses 17, 18, 19, 20. On his arrival, they find that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now, if, if they had buried this guy and he was still alive, there would be this chance that he might live. But nobody lives wrapped in cloths, stuck in a, in a tomb. Nobody lives that long. And so other people go to meet Jesus, verse 20. Mary stays home. She doesn't even get up. She doesn't even go to the door to greet him. This is, this is a discouraged, probably depressed person. Mary doesn't even go out and ask herself, probably, why bother? Why even get up off the couch? I can't change anything. This is over. It's been done for four days. He waited too long. I'm not, I'm not even talking to him. Um, uh, it's as if there's this feeling of I'm always going to be alone and depressed and abandoned. It's what my life is. And maybe that's where you are. And I tell you that to say this. That's where many of the followers of Jesus found themselves at certain points in their lives. And why is that? He does this on purpose in order to teach us the sufficiency of who he is and the power of what's about to happen. There's a third person. It isn't just Thomas and it isn't just Mary. There's a third one. Her name is Martha. And she lets it out. Mary buries the anger uh, towards Jesus. She just stuffs it. She doesn't get up. She doesn't talk, she doesn't interact, nothing. But Martha says, uh, go to chapter 11, verse 21. Lord, Martha said, and then she starts to speak what the others are thinking. You ever have some, a family relative like that? Everybody has one family relative who just lets a piece of their mind fly. Let's go of something they need to really hang on to. And, and she says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, it's your fault. You get this? Have you ever said that to God? Maybe not in those words. But you've been angry with God or angry at something that happened in the events. You just said, look, God, if you had shown up, this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have gone down this way. And she verbalizes what the rest of them are afraid to say. She's in somewhat of a cycle of grief. If you ever studied the cycle of grief, there's this shock and anger and denial then there's this bit of adjustment that takes place. But in the midst of it, she's still mad at God. Some of us in the room are mad at God because we didn't get a fair shake in life, didn't get the job, didn't get to finish college, got to finish college with a huge debt, paid off the debt, everybody else got their debt forgiven, married someone but could have married better, should have married earlier, shouldn't have married at all. Third time, I thought this would be the lucky one. It isn't, and now I'm stuck. And you're just angry, angry at yourself angry at God. So where do you go with that? It consumes you. It makes you lose perspective. And I tell you this, that's exactly the position the Father wants us in, to see his surpassing glory, to see that he can bring a peace that surpasses all understanding. He can provide wisdom in a seemingly 
impossible situation and he can provide hope where all is lost. Jesus said to her, verse 23, and now 24, your brother will rise again. He's dead, he's been dead four days. Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She give, he gives her reason for hope, he'll rise again. She responds with what she understands and she knows there's gonna be a resurrection out there someday when she believes Moses and Abraham and there's Abraham's bosom and she's read the Old Testament and she's a little familiar with the, oh yeah, there'll be this day in glory when we see him again, but it's not gonna be for a long time. In other words, I'm still mad. <laughs> you ever had that happen? You ever had someone say to you, I'm sorry, and you say, okay, I forgive you, but I'm still mad. And that's where she is. And so she's trying to adjust in her anger and somewhere in that grief cycle, She's making this adjustment, and Jesus says to her, oh, no, 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 you aren't getting it. Now, here's the context of the verse we just read. Jesus said, I'm not talking about someday down the road in the future. And he, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even though he dies, he's still going to live. Even if he dies, he's still going to live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never Ever, and you could just put the word really in there. He'll never really die. Do you believe this? That's the question. Do you really believe this? You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is not just an event. The resurrection is who he is. The life is who he is. It isn't just about what he does. It's about his identity. And that's the real question for you and me. Do we really, really believe this? Now, just for a moment, I want you to forget the story about the sickness and the timeline and the four days he's been dead and the two days they waited and then they traveled through a city that could have killed him. Take all that away and ask yourself, do I really believe Jesus put all those elements together so we'd have a dead guy so he could raise him from the dead? And the answer is, that's exactly what happened. So the, the bigger question is, do I really believe that? Do I believe he can make dead things come to life again? Do I believe he can make dead relationships come to life again? Dead promises come to life again? Dead hope come to life again? Our dead lives come to life again? Well, that's the paramount issue. Now, um, let me, I'll skip ahead in the story. You ready? Here it is. Jesus will travel He'll get there to the city. He'll say, where's the tomb? Mary doesn't even go out. Martha starts yelling and crying. Thomas goes, let's just die. He's, this is a bad situation. This is not what we call a praise and worship service right there. You know, you know Jesus arrives and they're like, yeah, so, so sad. And they're not, they're not, it's Jesus for crying out loud. I mean, you'd think they'd say, oh, it's Jesus. No, they don't. They just say it's too late. So he says, where's the tomb? Like he doesn't know. So they walk him to the tomb. And as they're walking, they go, we don't have someone to open the stone. This isn't going to work. They get someone to open the stone, and, he, and Jesus prays. And then he, he yells into the tomb, Lazarus! Any of you have children? Any of you yelled upstairs, get up! Any of you yelled it like you meant it? Like, get up! All right, on a count of three, I just want to practice with you. Just because I want to see if I'm doing it right. 
uh, let's just pretend you're at the foot of your stairs looking upstairs to the bedrooms and it's uh, the bus will be here in 20 minutes for school so you yell on the count of three one two three yeah. that's pretty good that was pretty good you can come over to my house anytime yell that <clears throat> Martha says I I believe you are the resurrected Savior verse 27 but I don't know what good that's going to do. He goes to the tomb, they roll away the stone, he yells, Lazarus, get up! Lazarus comes walking out, wrapped, can you imagine? Wrapped in cloth. This is Steven Spielberg. This is where he gets his material. This is crazy. He gets up, they unwrap him, and he needs a bath. Why? Because it's been four days. Fish and company stink after three. Amen? Yes. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus was looking, will they simply believe in me? And you know what he was looking for in the words of Martha? She says, you know what, even though I'm mad at you, verse 27, I still believe you're the Messiah. Even though I'm mad at you, and that's where you are. And you know what, Jesus says, that's okay. I'll still work the miracle. The issue is, do you believe? Doesn't mean your life is perfect. Doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It just means, I believe. And you might be struggling with this denial or struggling with, it, with, with Thomas, it was doubt, right? Uh, with, with Mary, it wasn't really doubt. Hers was a different kind of discouragement. But with, with Martha, it was a disdain, it was a disgust, it was a denial, I wasn't even sure what word to put in there. It was just, she's just angry. But she still believes. And Jesus says, that's, that's all I need. I just need to know that you trust me. And so he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it brings back the question to you and me. Do we really believe Jesus can raise the dead? The reality is he has the power to do so. The greater question is, do I really believe that? What you have to remember is this. We're in John chapter 11. By 12, there's already a plot out to kill Jesus. By 13, he's into his final week. This is the back end of the book. Not many days after he raises Lazarus from the dead, he himself will be arrested and beaten and taken to a cross. His friends will deny him. His family will back away from him. He'll be hung upon a cross, a criminal's cross, to die. He will pay for our sins. A Roman guard will run a sword through his side to see the water and blood separate. And when they, they separate, that means there's no circulation, which means they know he is dead. By all evidences, he will die upon the cross. He will be buried and he will be placed in a tomb and he will lay there in a cold, dark tomb with blood draining out for three days. And then he'll come back to life. And why does that happen? It happens because he is the resurrection and the life. He can't help it. It's who he is. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. So I tell you this. I don't know what you're facing today. I do know this. He can bring life back into it. I don't know what's died in your heart and in your life. He can bring life back to it. The issue is not can he do it. The issue is do you believe there will always be moments of doubt and discouragement, denial, disdain. 
There'll always be crazy things happening around you. Life will never be without its disruptions and its issues and its conflict. That is not the issue. God tells us that you can simply believe in him through Jesus Christ. And by believing him, you'll have eternal life. Now, by, by believing him, it doesn't mean, number one, that I have it all figured out. It doesn't believe, number two, that all my problems go away. It doesn't. And it doesn't, all it does is it means that I trust him, that I take him at his word, that he will forgive me and he'll take me as his own. And the, here's the truth. The truth is that God wants us to come to him for salvation. He creates these desperate moments, not, not just for trauma in our lives. He creates the desperate moments so we will run to him, so we'll see our need. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, He is not slow concerning his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient towards you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance and faith. And he provides payment for that salvation. Romans 3, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we are justified freely by his grace and redemption that Christ Jesus gives to us. God presents Christ as a sacrifice, as a really an atonement. That's the word for blood-covered covering. He makes the payment, not just the down payment, but the full payment, through the shedding of his blood, and we receive that simply by faith. God provides that salvation really as a gift to us. Ephesians chapter 2, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. What do you do with a gift? All you can do is receive it and tell the one who gives it to you, thank you. You see, I, I think it's time for some in this room who've, who've been distant and you know about Jesus, but you only know about Jesus from what other people tell you about Jesus, it, now it's your day to realize uh, he really is the resurrection and the life. He could be my life if I'll trust him. But that means you have to engage with him personally. Not for other people, but for you. My challenge to you today is to trust him in personal faith. And why? I'll tell you why. It's because he loves you and me. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Get that, Titus 3. When the kindness, not his anger, his kindness and his love, his tender-hearted compassion, what, what demonstrated there? He saves us. If you'll turn to him today, you will always have doubts, you'll always have questions, but you can never get down the road until you start the journey. And you'd be amazed at how wonderful he can be towards you. Jesus said it this way, John chapter 11. Read it with me again, would you? Aloud. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 11. And that's the question. Do you believe this? Would you bow with me in prayer? Would you open your heart to him if you've never done that before? And just tell the Father in heaven, dear God, I don't fully understand it and I have moments of anger. I have moments when I back away. But now I, I see for myself the very words of Jesus. I am the resurrection. I'm the life. And that's what I need. I trust Christ to be my savior. Because I have sinned. I have fallen short. 
and I need the Savior to save me. And I will need continued help, not just today, dear God. Would you be my guide in all of life? If that's the prayer of your heart today, you know what? The, the God of heaven smiles. Jesus says, welcome to the family. The Holy Spirit moves into your life, takes up residency, becomes your comfort, your guide, your friend, your director into all truth. The Holy Spirit will help you now live the life you were meant to live. So on behalf of all of us, Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, that in our lives there be a gratefulness about us as we say thanks for a wonderful Savior who is the resurrection and the life. And being the resurrection and the life, we believe that when we die, nothing inside of us really dies. Because we're forgiven, we have greater hope, greater future, greater perspective for here and now. Thank you. We praise and bless your wonderful name. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. The church says, amen.